hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Tax loopholes are for the rich and they should pay more. Well, that's not entirely true. Loopholes are available to all of us, including those of us who make much less than $30,000 a year. One such loophole is called the Savers Tax Credit, and that's the subject of today's podcast, Queer Money Episode 311. We're joined today by Natalie Kalati, real estate tax strategist of her own firm, Kalati Tax and Accounting, established in 2017. Natalie has been an accountant since 2014, and her passion is helping people quit the nine to five. Yay! Yay. (laughs) Natalie is good people, and this episode is good information, especially for those at the lower end of the income spectrum, to help prepare for retirement. We mentioned a lot of resources and examples in this episode, though. So for links to those resources and to read those examples, click on the link in your podcast player. Remember, we make the Queer Money Podcast for you. So please post your money questions, especially if you have ones around this particular episode in the Queer Money Facebook group. We'll answer those questions and possibly do that in an upcoming show. Now on with this one. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Gainbridge sponsors the best, including the Indiana Pacers, Indiana Fever, Indiana 500, and the Queer Money Podcast. That's because Gainbridge believes dedication is an essential component of success in every community. Visit gainbridge.life today. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. As you know, John and I like to explore financial topics, and sometimes we like to explore topics that we are not that familiar with. (laughs) And so that is why today we have as our guest, Natalie Kalani. Kalani, Kalani, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) And we wanted to talk about the Retirement Savers Tax Credit. And the reason why we wanted to talk about this is we think that there are some topics that are often not talked about that are available to individuals who may be in the lower income spectrum. And these are opportunities for them to be able to invest and be able to save and take advantage of things that the rest of us can't take advantage of. And they're really designed to help folks in the lower income and uh, the income spectrum to be able to save for retirement. And we know that that has a huge impact on the quality of your retirement. John and I have mentioned a number of times on the show, we get emails from folks saying that they've reached retirement age and they don't have a whole lot saved. What should they do now? And so this is an opportunity for folks out there to be thinking about retirement, even if you are in the lower income tax brackets. So Natalie, thank you for coming on the show. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. And Natalie, just just for for our listeners, so that they know why you know about this or your experience, could you just share with us, share with our listeners, your a little bit of your background? Yeah, of course. So I've been in tax since about 2014, and had my own firm since 2017. And I really specialize on kind of the real estate side of things, but with that comes a lot of the fire movement and early retirement. 
And so literally the tagline for my firm is helping people escape the nine to five because that's my whole goal. It makes me crazy. The idea of just working forever. So especially things like this, where you can look at them early on and before you're sort of looking at these grand schemes really snowballs and really adds up. So I think this was a really good option to talk about. Nice. I'm excited. And you bring up a good point because sometimes some individuals for certain reasons may be in a lower tax bracket because they chose to be there, right? They've made some adjustments to, they've quit the nine to five, or they have set things up in their life so that they don't have a lot of expenses that they don't need to earn a whole lot. So they may land in this this lower tax bracket by choice, and then they can take advantage of this. Absolutely. And that can be and should be looked at too. I'm a big fan also of sort of the mini retirements of taking a year to travel or do things like that. And on a finance point of view, things like this should be looked at at that same time. If you're used to making 80 grand a year and you take a year to go live in Thailand, that's the year to do things like this credit when your income is really low. And so you can still have some of those options that you normally would be maxed out of. Nice. Nice. You can go to Thailand and still save a couple thousand dollars for retirement. (laughs) Right. So Nellie, maybe you could just explain to us what is the savers tax credit and and why is it focused on retirement? So what this credit gives you, so with retirement accounts, there's a couple benefits you get. The most common thing you hear about, I think, is IRA accounts. And with a traditional IRA, um, it reduces your taxable income. So that's sort of a benefit in and of itself. And so that is tax-free money you get to put in there. With a Roth IRA, the other type, it doesn't reduce your income you've paid tax on it. And so then the benefit is it gets to grow tax-free. This credit really helps compound that and sort of gives you a benefit on a benefit. So what this credit is, is it is a 50% credit on a contribution into a qualified retirement account, which is most of them, honestly, it's IRAs, it's 401ks, up to potentially $2,000. But if you're single, just to keep numbers simple, it's up to $1,000. So that means if you put $2,000 into an IRA during the year, this is going to give you up to a $1,000 credit, which is a huge additional kind of bonus that you're getting for doing nothing more. Yeah. Not costing anything else. Right. Wow. That's great. So let's just, let me just ask you kind of in a simplified way. If I were setting aside roughly $166 a month and putting that into my 401k at work, you're saying that by putting money into my 401k, I could potentially take advantage of this. Yep. Yep. And it has to be your money. It's not, it can't be like the employer's match portion. Right. But what's really cool about this is that it is a credit and a tax credit versus a deduction means that it is a dollar for dollar reduction of your actual tax owed, not your taxable income. So like if we reduce your income by a thousand dollars, that's only going to reduce your tax by whatever your tax rate is. In this case, if at the end of the year you owed $1,000 and qualified for this credit, you could literally wipe out any tax you owe. So that can be a huge benefit. So there are maybe more people that could avail themselves to this than you and I were originally thinking. I mean, if, if you have a you know, if, if you have a 401k at your employer and you are able to max out your 401k contributions, what is it, 14,500 now? Or actually, I think in 2022, it's 20,500. Oh, it's 20,000. Yeah. She's up, gotta get caught up. So you could really consider really lower your taxable income. And if that puts you down below this, this threshold, then you can ha- get that additional $1,000 credit. Yeah. It's huge. Right. Yeah. So I, I think there's a, there's a really big point we need to make here. Well, you call this a credit. This is a credit on tax owed. So mm-hmm. it's not 
okay, I'm getting a refund and I'm going to get more money back. It's if I owe money, I can deduct this from what I owe. Is that right? Correct. So there's two types of tax credits, refundable and non-refundable. And so like the earned income credit, which is what a lot of people will get based on their tax bracket or if they have children, that's refundable. So it can result in you having no tax owed and then getting the balance. There's no additional take back on it. You can't have a refund from it. So we can always get your tax to zero. But if you've got credit left over, there probably could have been a little more wiggling with your earnings or things like that to sort of use a little more of this credit um, because it can take you to zero, but not past it. You can't get a bigger tax refund as a result of it. That's why you need a good accountant. Right. Exactly. Right. This it is, is, a, this is why we have you on here <laughs> to explain this to us. So at the end of the year, if I haven't paid, if I haven't set aside enough money in, in taxes out of my paycheck, or I haven't paid enough in taxes, if I'm self-employed, if I haven't been paying my taxes throughout the year, if I owe money, that's where I can actually say, okay, I owe $2,000, but I can take this $1,000 credit so now I only owe a thousand. Yeah, absolutely. And it would probably, it could potentially compound depending on what you've done during the year. This is something we look at with people at all tax brackets where putting that money into a retirement account, depending on what type it is, will also reduce your taxable income. So if you haven't put anything in for the year and you've got enough money aside that at year end, um, because with a 401k, you can only do this till the end of the year. At December 31st, you're done. Mm -hmm. With an IRA, you can do it until you file your taxes. So in March, you can figure out, oh, I owe some money. I'm going to put some into retirement instead of just giving it to the IRS. And then I'll get this credit. Like that's a pretty great sort of outcome, a card to have in your hand. So look at it right. before you submit. Exactly. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. Even if you are, whether it's intentional or unintentionally, if you're in a lower income tax bracket, it makes sense to to do these kinds of calculations in that January to, to April 15th timeframe, right? Yeah. I, I, I need to sit down and I need to figure out, okay, does it make sense for me to take advantage of this? Yeah, absolutely. And especially with putting funds into retirement accounts at a younger age or when you're in these lower brackets, I can't remember. I should have looked this up ahead of time because I love this number. It's a Mindy Jensen quote, but it's basically <laughs> like the amount of money you put into retirement. Like if you did it's like a fifth of the amount from your younger years versus if you start at 30, how much more you end up with because of the compounding. And I think people don't think about that. Like I know none of my friends did in, in their twenties. It was just like, oh, you know, you fund your retirement account later. That's not something we do now. Now we go shopping and we're, go out we're for 20 now. We're not, we're yeah, that's a tomorrow problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. But these little things will add up. Right. You're, you're right. And I, I think that's one of the important things to, to mention here. Because a lot of times I, I think we do think folks are probably in the lower tax brackets typically are are younger, right? It's our first earning years, our mm -hmm. first jobs, maybe even the job that we have while we're going to school, we're going to school full-time and working part-time, all that kind of, especially if we have, we're dependent on our parents. It's really important to think about, you don't need to be putting away tens of thousands of dollars into your retirement account. I mean, granted, it'd be great if you did, yeah. <laughs> but even if even if all you can afford to put in is 500 or $1,000, if that saves for 30, 40, 50 years, yeah. the potential of what that can do to your ability to have a better retirement is amazing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It just snowballs. And bringing up like being fresh out of college too is important. So with this credit, this credit's kind of interesting because we keep talking about lower income. And the reason is because this credit is limited based on your income of your adjusted gross income. So 
the way they've structured this credit is you kind of get more of a credit the less you earn. And as you make more money, you get less of this credit. So it's important to be aware of that adjusted gross income amount. And that's what you have to be thinking about, not necessarily your W-2 at the end of the year, because there are a few things that really go into that and will change that number. And so, like you mentioned, being your first job right out of college, and one of those things is student loan interest. So if you made $1,000 more than the limit to use this credit, but you paid $1,000 during the year in student loan interest, that'll bring your adjusted number down to where you're back in that range. So what I would tell people kind of the best thing to look at. So there's a link, I'm sure you guys have it for the IRS page where it tells you about this credit and sort of what those numbers are on your 1040 return. So on your personal tax return, line 11 is that adjusted gross income number and schedule one is all of the sort of adjustments that cause it. So look at that. You can pull that up online, just the PDF of that form and look at all those categories of things that'll lower that number and see which of those you have to see how much above the limit you can earn to then have it brought back down as the adjusted number you need. For those who aren't familiar, would you mind defining what adjusted gross income is or AGI? Yeah. So your gross income is just the total of all your taxable income, your W-2. If you have a self-employed job, you do Uber, you do any of these things. Um, And then your adjusted gross income, the IRS lets you then have like I said, there's a handful of sort of random things that reduce your income to this adjusted amount and why just to keep me in business to make it be more complicated. (laughs) But so there's these things we can now just write off. And then we have this adjusted number that for some reason is what we use for all of these credits and things. And so things that go into that are like those student loan payments are really common. That is where um, like contributing to an IRA reduces your income. It reduces that adjusted gross income. Educator expenses. This is a good credit for educators. A lot of new teachers don't earn a super high salary. So that's another thing that goes into that adjustment, um, looking at all those things. And then it comes to this adjusted amount. And that is before. So this is without getting too in the weeds of taxes, that adjusted gross income number is used for a lot of credits and limitations on things. And then you hear about people either itemizing or getting a standard deduction. And that is either a bunch of individual write-offs, which is like your mortgage interest taxes and things like this, or there's this preset standard one, which is what most people get unless you own a pretty expensive house. And so that adjusted gross income number then gets that deduction off of it. Most people get that standard deduction, which is about $12,000 if you're single. And then after that is your taxable income. So you can really get your actual taxed amount down pretty low between your adjustments. And then you always get this standard deduction. So you've got to kind of have that number in mind that the government basically gives you this $12,000 freebie almost. It's sort of like no matter where you land, we're then going to wipe off another 12000 of it. Right. right. So all these variables could in effect lower your your, your taxable income that you yep. would owe the government. And that might then avail you to the tax savers credit or the savers yep. tax credit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think one thing to keep in mind here, or one important thing is your standard deduction is after your adjusted gross income, right? It's not before. So Correct. taking that $12,000 or $24,000 as a couple out of your adjust gross in them. It's not that number. It's the the number before you take that standard deduction. Do you mind sharing with us kind of the range of what this looks like for a single person, head of household, and maybe describe what head of household is as yeah. well as a married couple filing jointly? You know what the head of household is. I'm very oh, yeah. confused know why you have to ask this question. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we all know who head of household is in this, this household. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. For other households. <laughs> so these are 2022 numbers. They change a little bit each year, but I'm going to go with next year so people can be proactive. 
Right. But so you've got a few filing options, single, married, well, married separately, but that doesn't happen often, but married together, married violently jointly or head of household. Married jointly is exactly what it sounds like. You're married and you're filing. Single is what it sounds like. Head of household is if you're single, but you have a qualifying dependent. So like a child that you fully maintain the house for. So it gets you kind of this super category. So with this credit, the numbers are pretty low, honestly. So for 2022, if you are single, you cannot earn more as that adjusted gross income amount than $20,500. So you could potentially earn more than that. So let me just look at the example I'd kind of written out earlier, because if you earned say $20,000, then, so this is where it gets kind of tricky because your adjusted gross income amount for that credit is going to be different than your taxable income. So you got to kind of look at both because your goal is to have your taxable income. I guess if you, my point is, if you qualify for that full $1,000 of credit, you can put $2,000 into your retirement account. You know, you're going to have $1,000 to use. Well, you want to owe $1,000 at the end of the year. In theory, that's sort of a perfect bingo is you've got nothing owed, nothing wasted. Right. So then you have to look at your total taxable income to figure out what you owe to then figure out if you're getting the most of this credit. So it's kind of the circular calculation. Right. <laughs> so you got to kind of play with it a little bit. So it's $20,000, for single, but that goes up to $41,000 if you are married and filing jointly. So that's a pretty decent amount for a married couple. Um, and that gets you 50% of your contribution. And so that's per person. So together you could get a $2,000 credit if you were married and earning just under $41,000. This credit phases out. There's two other ranges of it where you get a 20% and a 10% of whatever you contribute. But then if you make more than a certain amount, you can't use it at all. And that range happens pretty quickly. So like for single, to get the full 50% credit, $20,000, $20,500. Once you make more than $34,000, you get nothing. So you've only got this very small range of like $13,000 to play with. But if you fall into that range for whatever reason, or you're close enough that we can use things like a retirement contribution or some of these other things to get your adjusted gross income in the range, then this can be a really good spot to land. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Heard a rumor about annuities? Cut out the noise by visiting Queer Money podcast sponsor Gainbridge at gainbridge.life to learn more. So I'm curious, I know that organizations like AARP and Sage oftentimes provide free or low cost accounting services. But for those who don't have access to those services or who are don't think they can afford an accountant or they can't afford an accountant, do things like TurboTax, are they familiar with this credit? Yes and no. So what it would do is it would give you the credit if you happen to fall there, but it's not really going to help you plan to get the credit, right. which is sort of the difference. And it's hard to say if those free programs would either like the ARP program, but a good one to check with. And I actually did this when I was in college, but there's a program called VITA, V-I-T-A. And it is a program in most states that does free tax preparation for people who make under a certain amount. And it's a pretty good range, but a lot of the preparers there, like when I did it, I was an accounting student in a master's program. So it's still better than probably just winging it on TurboTax. And a lot of it is like retired accountants who still want to sort of do something or help or give back. So you can get some really good tax help that way. So I would kind of start there. But what I would also say with this number is there's quite a few calculators now on 
different finance websites that sort of help you figure out what you're going to owe at year end. The one I was looking at though was a little tricky because it wanted you to know how much you'd get of a credit, what credits you qualified for. So it's sort of like you have to know it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of a hard thing to plan for because a lot of people, if you're making less than 20,000, won't pay for a CPA. And so you kind of have to solve it yourself. So I'll try to provide you guys maybe a spreadsheet or something where we can kind of break this down for listeners. So it's as easy as possible to kind of do the workaround calculation to see if they can get this. Thank Thank you. you. We appreciate that. We'll definitely have a link in the show notes to get that. So let me ask you a question. It sounds like there's some strategy involved in this. Not only there's the strategy of figuring out towards the end of the year or the beginning of the new year, do I qualify for this? Should I put more money in into my retirement then? But is there also strategy that would happen during that calendar year that says, okay, maybe I'm not going to put as much money towards my taxes. I'm going to have more deductions, try to lower my tax bill during the year so that I can end up owing so I can get the credit. <laughs> That's a long question, a complicated one. Maybe you can simplify it for us. And I was, I was struggling with this yesterday, trying to figure out like how into the weeds I got with this. Cause you can really, it's sort of like you go a little for, it's like, do you ever read that if you give a mouse a cookie book, like you start with the cookie, then he wants milk, then he wants a napkin. So there's always sort of another thing that you can add to it. And that's what this reminded me of. Because it was like, okay, if you get to this income level, you can qualify. Okay. But if we get a little higher and then can qualify for this write-off or this adjustment, then we can still get it. Then we can, so you can sort of expand and expand. So during the year, what I would kind of look at and be mindful of is if you can put into the retirement obviously do it. I'm a big fan of Roth IRAs. I love the tax-free growth for later, but that's not going to lower your taxable income. So sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. But so something to be mindful of when I sort of ran this as an example is that if you are in that single level for qualifying for the largest amount of this credit where you're earning your adjusted gross income is about 20,000, that assuming you hold no taxes out of your paycheck during the year, like you literally withhold nothing all year long, you only end up owing under $1,000 in most cases. So if you don't withhold tax during the year, I would say that's probably the better option, honestly, which like take that with a grain of salt, be like work with someone, don't don't yell at me if you end up owing at your end because something (laughs) changed. (laughs) But because like a good example would be if you made that $20,000 amount. And so like we talked about, your standard deduction is just under 13 for the upcoming year. And then if you were able to put 2000 into an IRA, it brings your taxable income down to $5,000 after that standard freebie deduction and that retirement contribution. And then $1,000 of that gets you that credit. And so you end up owing 550. And so that $1,000 credit is going to wipe out that small amount you owe, Mm -hmm. but you've sort of wasted another 500 because you had more credit left. Right. Gotcha. You could owe a little bit or you could earn a little bit more than that and still end up paying zero. I like the idea of starting with not paying tax during the year because there's a time value to money. If instead of you having that money sitting in the IRS account, you have it somewhere that's earning interest or you have it in a retirement account, ultimately it is working for you, not for like, it's not doing anything for you and it's just the IRS holding it. Like pay in if you have to, obviously, but if you can plan and know you won't owe it year end because of things like this and you can take that money and have it earn for you in some way instead. I think that's kind of the more strategic route to go. But 
again, that's sort of, like I said, that's sort of three steps down the line is the time value of money. If I have this extra $28 as a paycheck today, what do I do with it? That's a little more in the, in the world. Try not I to think. spend it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> pretty much is step one. Yeah. I think that was the reason behind the question is I'm thinking maybe of lower earners that are self-employed, right? They have to pay the taxes themselves rather than automatically mm-hmm. being deducted from a paycheck. Would it make sense for them to set aside the money that they, well, and they should be doing this anyway, set aside the money that you're supposed to be paying for your taxes in an account where you won't touch it and you definitely don't touch it. Then you're going to get to the point where you can do this calculation after the first of the year, you have money set aside for your paying taxes, but then you also have, you're going to do your taxes. And at that point you could say, how much should I put into a Roth IRA that would give me the maximum credit? If Mm -hmm. I fall below these income levels, if I could get to these low income levels, or for that matter, should I, could I put potentially put it into a traditional IRA? Because then that does reduce your adjusted gross income because you're putting it into that tax deductible account. Yeah. So yeah, there's kind of, I always tell people there's no right or wrong way to do finance, to do retirement. It's kind of like a diet. Like there's a million things people will tell you their way is the best, but at the end of the day, whatever one you'll actually do is what works. That's true. Absolutely. (laughs) If you're a person, there's like, I work with some people who no matter how much they make, they want to put that money aside for taxes throughout the year if they're self-employed. And that's great. And that's what the IRS. <laughs> sometimes the stress isn't worth it. It's just not worth nope, sometimes it. The stress Don't is give not up your it. peace. We have all this money in this account. Let's buy a car. You're like, no, oh, we that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just not worth it. And and that's great. And that's what the IRS really wants is you to, if you're self-employed, make payments to them each quarter and it avoids a small penalty because we're kind of a pay-as-you-go system. But at the same time, if you get really in tune to these numbers and you realize that you're going to be at this, like we've been talking about these calculations. So if you, at the end of quarter one, look at your numbers and realize you have enough set aside to cover two quarters worth, well, then don't make a payment the next time or instead put it into the retirement account. So it's just one of those things where the more you kind of pay attention to it, it's sort of like your budget. If you ignore it for the year and then in December go, oh crap, what do I spend money on? Like you're going to be surprised. But if you kind of check in with this each quarter or each month or whatever works for you, you'll be a lot more attuned to what you can sort of do and thinking about what other changes you can make. Like you mentioned being self-employed and I feel like anyone should have some kind of a little side gig and it can be something you like doing. It can be something that if just the money from that goes into your retirement accounts, like just having something on the side opens you up to a lot more in terms of tax planning and things you can do. So our tax code is made to like keep self-employed people from paying taxes. That's why when people are like, how does Amazon not pay taxes? When we ask, cause it's, it's the name of the game. So now have a small insurance. side business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's like um, Natalie's been listening to the Money podcast for the last five years. <laughs> we've been telling our <laughs> listeners to have some sort of a side business, full-time business, whatever, anyways, any size, shape or form, whatever. Because there's just a myriad benefits to doing so. And and this is just another. Yeah. Yeah, And it's another snowball. It just opens up doors for you. And so it's kind of like it's doing anything. The more sort of tools you have in your toolkit, the more you're going to have success. So pairing together, you know, timing out this lower income earning. And then maybe it was a year you started a new business. So that's how you qualify. Like, look at the big picture. Look Mm -hmm. at the next three to five years and what you want to do and kind of 
be aware of where your income's going to land instead of letting things happen and then being like, now what? <laughs> like, yeah. now what do I get? Well, and I like, for it. I like how you're explaining this because I think so often, especially with taxes, people are just like, taxes are happening to me, right? I just owe this money or, or, or I'm getting a refund. Like, I don't, I don't, I have no participation yeah. in this process. I'm just taxed or not taxed. But the way you're describing it, more so than I've ever heard before, is be engaged with it, be strategic with it, and you may be able to make it work in your favor in the short term and or the long term. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things people miss at sort of every level of income is thinking about the big picture to them. And a lot of accountants do this too, where they like pat themselves on the back for saving you money this year, but then you can't buy a house next year kind of thing because they wrote off all your income. It's like, you have to look at the big picture and it's true at all of these levels. So think about what you really want to do. Like if you love your job, you might not want to retire early. You just want to know you can be comfortable. So you might want to be less aggressive or focus on career, but people want out of the nine to five as soon as humanly possible. And then you really want to double down and spend a little more time maxing out every sort of getting the benefit of every dollar you earn and qualifying for every credit you can and really putting the time into these plans. It's interesting because I think that oftentimes we hear, well, you just mentioned Amazon not paying any taxes or folks at at higher income levels not paying taxes because they're topic, sir. (laughs) Well, they're taking advantage of what a lot of people like to refer to as loopholes, but really what they're doing is they're taking advantage of what the tax code allows them to do, right? And here's an example where folks who are earning at a lower income, there are some advantages that they can take advantage of. They should be exploring. They should be paying attention to instead of like you just said, John, just letting taxes happen to them, if they put some forethought into this, are a little bit strategic as to how they pay, when they pay, they could actually really be reducing the amount of money that they pay to taxes and at the same time be putting aside money for retirement, which is which is going back to the, the intro of this, something that a lot of folks in lower income tax brackets simply just say they can't do. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity, an open door that says maybe you can. Now, granted, maybe you can't put aside $20,500, but as we mentioned, every dollar, mm-hmm. especially if it grows for 20 to 50 years, every dollar really helps you further on down the line. Yeah, so- absolutely. And it's one of those things too, like you mentioned, a lot of those people aren't working with a CPA because of the cost or things like that. So it's really one of those things where they're going to learn it through podcasts like this. They're going to learn it from trying to figure it out on their own because no one teaches us this in college or in high school. They're yep. teaching us you know, how to play the recorder when we're in school. They're not teaching us how to do taxes or save for <laughs> That was the best time though. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take that away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I could do both, right? Maybe we can make a song about taxes, but we've got to learn something about this because people hit the real world and just have, there's just sort of a lack of resources and like we mentioned some of the free programs earlier, but if you want to be strategic, it is like, it is kind of hard to get, not hard, but they put some loops you have to jump through to get out of these lower brackets and work your way up and get retired when you're starting at this point. Yep. Um, Cause you kind of have to teach yourself and you kind of have to find resources like this to find the answers and figure a lot out on your own, but the answers are there. And there are these kind of benefits that you can take advantage of that higher earners, not they can't. So if it's there for you, you got to find it and take advantage of it. Absolutely. So I'm curious if, I don't know if this answer is out there, if you even, even know it, but I, I've read several statistics about like, there are like 
millions of dollars in scholarships and grants every year to help people go to college that that aren't taken advantage of. And I think you know that we think of all like the all the unclaimed dollars that the that's out there at banks and other institutions that that people don't go and get access to. There's just all this money out there that's just not being used or owned. I'm wondering, has anybody done a calculation of how much more in taxes people in the country as a whole pay than we probably would need to if we were more strategic with our tax filing? Pandora's box. Is that like, I'm curious if that's out there. Like, you know, Americans pay like a billion dollars more than they should or something. On the education side, like if we just had that money going to use? Well, no, I'm just saying like, if, if you know, how many, all the taxpayers together combined. Mm-hmm. If all the people, when you consider all the deductions and all the strategies that they're not taking advantage of, I'm curious as a country, how much more are we paying in taxes than we probably need to? Obviously, that wouldn't help the government because they can't seem to stay within their budget, but it would help, you know, homeless, you know, households. <laughs> yeah, probably a significant amount. And that's kind of the unfortunate part with the tax system is. We have a tax system where they know what we make and what you're going to owe, and then they still make you figure it out. And so it's sort of a little backwards and it's backwards on purpose because then it's on you to figure it out. And then if you figure it out wrong, there's a penalty, but if right. you pay them too much, they're not going to like jump to give it back to you. So well, you really do have Sam. to look at these things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like a bad date. So. I'd like to reference some sweet spots as to who this might be beneficial for. But, you know, after we kind of talked through this, I think it may be better if we put those in the show notes. So folks, we're going to, Natalie gave us some examples and we're going to put those in the show notes. So go look at the show notes for kind of where does this, what kind of income spectrums does this really make sense for? Because I think it could get really complicated trying to explain numbers to people who are listening. And it just, it might be a little too much, but David's I, afraid I'm going to fall asleep in front of the camera. Right. <laughs> he knows how I am one of numbers. us will pay attention. Um, <laughs> but there, I think there is one more question that I would like to ask. We talked about this idea of not putting money into to not paying your taxes throughout the year, saving, setting aside the money and planning to pay at the beginning of the year when you're supposed to do your taxes, would it make sense for somebody to put that money into a Roth IRA instead of setting it aside in a savings account? And if they did that, could they withdraw the money and not have to pay taxes and a penalty on that? So I would say it's probably a more advanced strategy. Like this is something I do with some clients. But what I tell people is basically if you have a better use of the money, to do something else with it, right? So like, if you know that you can put this into an investment that will earn you more than the penalty for not paying it in through the year, then that's a side-by-side comparison. But um, I would say trying to sort of figure that out on your own or be sure of it. It's one of those things that you you just need to be real sure before you go doing that, or you can end up in a, in a tight spot at year end. Um, Cause putting it into a Roth, you can take your basis back out of a Roth, but not always right away. You have to have it in there for several years. But again, you can contribute to that Roth up until filing time. So you could sort of have the money aside and then decide what you did with it at year end. And the only thing you're losing is just that year's worth of sort of the time value of if you had it invested somewhere instead, which is a little bit, but you'd still be ahead of 90% of people, honestly, who don't even think about it. Right. So. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. That was a complicated question. Sorry, folks. <laughs> but a good that question. one got a little deep. 
and we'll try not to do that again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you. Thank you very much, Nellie, for coming on and talking about this. I know we just scratched the surface of this, and this is a complicated issue. Folks, again, check out the show notes for some of these maybe more sweet spot examples of who this might be beneficial for. And then we're going to provide links to the the resources that Natalie mentioned in the show so that if you do find yourself in this place, that there are some resources you can take advantage of. For folks who have been listening to the podcast for a while now, knowing that we are encouraging more LGBT folks to think about financial independence and retiring early, for those of you who are thinking about that strategy or you're wanting to take a gap year check with your accountant or check with Natalie, right? As to, <laughs> as to whether or not this is a strategy you could use this year, next year, or when you do plan to, to start your retirement or, or short-term retirement process. And on that note, where can I listeners track you down and make you their accountant? <laughs> yeah, there's kind of a few places. Um, my website is just colotax.com. It's just my last name. YouTube's a good one. And that's the real estate tax strategist. And you can find me on Facebook. There's a business page, but honestly, everyone just finds me and my whole personal page is now just taxes because it's kind of engulfed my life. So uh, you can just find me and add me on Facebook and you can talk to me in the group too. And I'll answer questions or anything people have in there as well. Nice. Awesome. Definitely. We'll have links to all that in the show notes, folks. Yep. So thank you, Natalie, so much for joining us. We appreciate having you and we're going to have to have you back. This was, uh, uh, I know we just scratched the surface, but I feel like we could dive a little bit deeper and really help folks even more. And we have a couple of other tax issues we'd like to discuss with you. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me guys. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Well, thank you, Natalie, for sharing such a valuable opportunity that so many LGBTQ people can take advantage of. We know our listeners will be doing their research and maybe even calling you on the phone. So get ready. (laughs) (laughs) To you, our listeners, here's your criminal takeaway from this episode. It's likely that you just finished doing your taxes. If you're an individual earning less than $30,000 a year, though, or a couple earning less than $60,000 a year, this is a strategy you want to do your research on right now and prepare for when you file your taxes for this year. Remember that taxes aren't happening to you. There are opportunities to not only lower your taxes, regardless of your income, but to help you secure your financial well-being. And remember, we mentioned a lot of resources and examples in this show. Click the link in your podcast player if you want to look at those. And again, remember, we make the Queer Money podcast for you. So if you have questions on this topic or others, please post them in the Queer Money Facebook group. If it's a new topic, we'll cover it in an upcoming episode. Thanks and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.